0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you to the worship team and to the worship team. Uh, all of us are here to worship the Lord, not just a couple of professional people up front. You are all the worship team, and that's, that's what we're here for. Today is, as Andrew said, we're calling it Punch Your Ticket Sunday, and I will explain now at, as we go along what this is all about and uh, why we're doing it and what it is. Uh, Our message today is kind of going to be in two parts. We're going to have a look at scripture to talk about a significant transition that happened in Israel's life as a nation. And hopefully that will give us a bit of clarity on our own transition that we are in the midst of as a congregation. And then after turning to the word, I'd like to just tell, tell all of you who may have been away for the summer and are coming back. What, uh, what we've been through and how things are and where we're going to go going forward. Because transitions can be really challenging times. If you've been here at all over the last six months, you'll know that we've been through a pretty major transition. Uh, pastor Blaine, as our lead pastor for many years, about 10 years, uh, I don't know what word to use, retired, I guess, from this position, although he's still on full-time faculty at the college and seminary now. And uh, as well, Coralie, our long-term office assistant, hasn't gone anywhere, but she's not, uh, not in that formal role anymore. And as Grace said, she is stepping into that role. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time speaking about our transition and what's been going on directly, but we should turn to scripture first. Because let's, let's not kid ourselves that the transition has been completed, we, we've marked it. We've done several things over, over these last months. Uh, had an ordination service. Uh, Pastor Blaine, we're going to have a thank you service for him a little later on in this month. But the event doesn't actually make the transition complete. Uh, this has been wedding season, right? Who's been to a wedding recently? Hands up, a few of you. Yeah, weddings have been happening. This is, this is prime season, right? And you know, you think back to those of you who are married the wedding day, for all that it was, does not complete the transition from being single to being married. It makes it official, but you need to spend a lot of time afterward figuring out how you're going to live together and, and who does what in your relationship and around the house to get stuff done and all the things that you need to do to sort out how you're going to make a home together together. Same thing if you, you're moving into a dorm room with a roommate you've never met before. You know, you shake hands and you get your keys and that makes it official and all that. But you've got to spend most of your first semester figuring out how you live with this guy or how you live with this girl and, and, and how you do things. One of you likes it messy and one of you likes it clean. So the, the official transition doesn't actually make the change happen. And that's where we are as a congregation We've been through the official stuff, but we've got to figure out how to do this in actual practice. So I was thinking as I was preparing for this Sunday, where, where do we go in Scripture to sort of figure out a time of transition and how the Lord helped his people navigate that? And I thought to myself, there's a whole book of the Bible with my name on it that, that deals with a significant transition in leadership. Maybe I should look there. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. If you want to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. We'll see how a significant transition happened for the people of Israel. I invite you to stand, as we typically do, for the reading of our sermon text. So in the reading that we had earlier, Grace read the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses uh, was departing, and he commissioned and commanded the people to be strong and to be courageous and to follow the Lord and keep faithfully to his law. Now we just turn over a page or two in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. I'll read 1 to 9, although we will talk about the second half of the chapter a little later. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. You can have a seat. There's a major refrain, and I'm sure you caught it because it was the major refrain in our previous scripture reading as well. Be strong and courageous it's essential in leadership and it's essential especially in a time of transition people get anxious people wonder what does our future hold it's is it going to be the same as the past is it going to be different than the past is it going to be better is it going to be worse and God has to remind his people to be strong and courageous but what specifically did Joshua need to be strong and courageous about and what did the people need to be strong and courageous about That's what we'll look at today briefly in order to set the tone for how we apply this specifically in the life of our congregation. Obviously, first thing, Joshua has to be strong and courageous because of the mission that God has entrusted to him and to the people of Israel. He's supposed to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River and conquer the land of Canaan, the promised land, a land flowing, as scripture so frequently says, with milk and honey but also a land of strong, fortified cities, big, powerful people with better weapons and technology. And that's scary stuff. There, there were real battles ahead. right? Joshua is kind of, at this point, he's kind of Winston Churchill at the Battle of Britain, saying, we're going to fight them on the beaches, we're going to fight them on the landing grounds, we'll never surrender, we'll never give up, but there's hard times ahead. He's calling on his people to, to take real risks, some of them aren't going to make it. So that's pretty obvious. that They need to be strong and courageous because they have an actual battle to fight and Joshua has to be strong and courageous to lead them as they go forward. But I think a bigger threat even to Joshua as he's in this point was the threat of what we would today probably call friendly fire. Here's the thing. Joshua had been around for a long time. He'd been around for some time helping Moses. But he really hadn't done anything all that significant yeah he'd he'd led in some minor battles here and there some skirmishes that israel had gotten into along their way their time in the wilderness but he's no moses right he he hasn't been in primary leadership he has certainly not done any miracles at this point he's kind of just been the guy tagging along with moses and remember where the people of israel are at this point they're on the border of the promised land. What happened the last time Israel had been this way 40 years earlier? They had been here already. They had been to the border of the promised land. And if you remember the story, Moses sent out 12 spies. They went and spied out the land. Joshua was one of them, Caleb was one of them, and some other guys we don't remember their names because they were the bad spies. Remember, they went And brought back a bad report of the land. The cities are too tall and the walls are too big and strong. The people are giants. We can't take this land. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, we can. But they got overruled by the other ten. You remember that? And then what happened? The other ten spies started a rebellion against Moses and his leadership. And wanted to even kill Moses and wanted to go back to Egypt. And here they are again. And Joshua is in the place where Moses was. And he's got to be thinking in his mind... Are we going to repeat history a second time? Are we going to waver? Are the people going to rebel? Are we going to get this close again only to decide, nope, we're not doing it? And he's got to be thinking, are they going to follow me? Are they going to rebel against me? It's tough because he's no Moses. No one was Moses. Joshua had to lead the people according to the gifts he had, the gifts God had given him, and the leadership that the Lord was going to lead him in. It's going to be different than what Moses did. Think about this too, right? This is is still future at this point in the story. A couple chapters later, Israel crosses the Jordan. And how does it happen? The waters part and roll back and they go through on dry land. And I am sure there were people thinking at that point, Ah, this Joshua guy, he's all right. He does things just like Moses did. When we made it through the Red Sea, I like this guy. This is how we do things. And then right after that, what happens? They go to Jericho. And they don't have a big battle. Joshua says, no, 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 no big battle. The Lord told me what we're going to do, and we're going to walk around the city for seven days. We're going to make a loop around it. And I'm sure people were thinking, who is this guy? He doesn't know anything. He's coming up with weird ideas what does he think he's doing? This, this is not the way Moses would have. If Moses was here, we'd be leading a big battle against that city. This guy does not know what he's doing. Joshua needed courage because he had to lead the people of Israel that were so frequently called rebellious and stubborn. And he needed to follow the Lord's leadership, and that took courage because sometimes it meant doing things that were unexpected, like that. And finally, the story tells us he needed courage because he was beholden To God's law and that's what really gets emphasized in that passage. We just read don't turn aside from it to the right or to the left be faithful to obey all that you've been given in the law that Moses gave you there was no option for him to take whatever means he felt necessary to achieve the desired ends the ends would not justify the means it was necessary to obey God's law in order to conquer the promised land there was no There was no option for compromise with the people of the land. There was no option for doing things the way they wanted to do. No option for syncretism, merging with the people of the land, adopting their ways once it was occupied. The last chapters of Deuteronomy were very, very clear that you had to do this the way the Lord set up and follow his laws. Because he was wiping out the Canaanites because of their wickedness. Do not be like them. Don't go after the, the ways of their God. Israel is warned over and over and over again. And in fact, warned that if they do that, if they do the things the way the Canaanites did, God would surely wipe them out too. And so Joshua needed courage to keep his people on the straight and narrow of following God's law, as God instructed. If the people of the land were scary, and if the people of Israel were causing him some anxiety, this is really what was most important. This was the biggest risk of all, not being faithful to God's law, disobeying the Lord. And in the second half of this chapter, we didn't read that yet, but I'll I'll summarize it for you. If you remember the story of Israel at this point, they had had to fight some battles in order to get to the promised land. They had conquered a few little satellite kingdoms outside of the promised land, And they had won those battles and and dispossessed those people and their kings. And some of the tribes, three of the tribes of Israel, said that they would like to inherit that land as their own. And they had worked out this deal with Moses. They could have that land, but they still had to go and help all the other Israelites conquer the main part of the promised land. That was the deal. They could leave their, the elderly people, their wives, their livestock, their little kids could stay there and occupy it. But the men of fighting age had to go with the rest of Israel into the main campaign. And so in the second half of Joshua chapter one, he has to deal with these people. So he addresses a, a general call to all the people of Israel. Okay, guys, three days from now, We're crossing the Jordan. Like, strap up, get ready, because we're going in there. But then he has to go to the leaders of these other three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, and deal with them. He has to go to them and say, Remember remember the deal that you guys made with Moses when he was still alive, that you were going to help, that you weren't going to just check out and stay over here. It's kind of a scary thing, right? He's a new guy. He hasn't done anything. What are they going to say? What if they don't? What if they just be like, nah, you're not Moses. That was a promise we made to him, but it doesn't count. We're just going to sit tight here. What's he going to do? Thankfully, this first crisis in leadership that he had to face, it went well. They didn't waver. They didn't just check out and go back on their word. They said, yes, we are in. We are in it. We're going over. We're helping you. May the Lord bless you and your leadership, and we're going to do it. We're not going to stand on the sidelines. We're not going to wait for you to kind of prove yourself. Maybe, maybe you guys go win a few battles, and then if you're successful, we'll, we'll come join you. No, they said, we're in, we're going, absolutely. Now, I don't think I have to work terribly hard to show you that we're, they're pretty direct applications in any significant time of transitional leadership, and for our own church as well. For them and for us, even with the transition of leadership, the destination and the mission still remains the same on both sides of the leadership transition. With Moses, the destination was the promised land. and Joshua begins to lead the people of Israel, the destination is still the land. We still have to be faithful to the law that God has given. For them and for us, The challenge to stay faithful and obedient to God's word doesn't change, no matter who has the title, lead pastor, or any other title of leadership in our church or this campus. But for them and for us, there are some things that will change. The face up front looks different. Things aren't going to be done exactly the same way as they were in the past. Joshua in the Old Testament faced a challenge He had to challenge people whether they were going to stay on the sidelines or whether they were going to actually engage with the mission of God's people. We have a similar challenge before us today. So while the points of commonality I think should be readily apparent, I shouldn't need to belabor them, I would like to take a little bit in the time that remains this morning to talk about how this works out in our own situation as a congregation in our life together. First of all, A few statistics, anybody loves statistics? A few of you, oh great, Great. thanks John, yes, Mr. Armstrong. Statistics, so just over two years ago, uh, before Andrew and I came on staff, we started in our roles officially in August 1st, 2016. So prior to that time, Karenport Community Church had a staff of four people, the average age was about 50, and we had only one staff member under the age of 40 currently we have a staff of five people with an average age of about 35 and only one staff member over the age of 40 in two years we've reduced the average age of our staff by 15 years and we've inverted the over under 40 uh, ratio that's pretty significant in the life of any organization or local church. What's made this possible, I think, is that a number of us, myself and Christy, we, we've, we're known. We've been here for a long time, and we're thankful for the continued acceptance uh, that you've given us. So we didn't exactly seem like brand new people, like, who are these people coming in, and what are they going to do, and who are they, and what do they know? Nevertheless, we have made a major and significant change there, and these kind of changes are the things that can can become stumbling blocks for organizations or to throw out another little statistic uh, grace and I were talking not that long ago and uh, discovered that our predecessors have adult children the same age as us respectively so in other words we've we've taken two staff positions and moved them down an entire generation literally we're not making that up It, it is actual actual fact So just let that sink in for a moment. Like we've taken two important positions and we've gotten a whole generation younger. So what do we do? One of the things we did at our staff retreat uh, that we went on a couple weeks ago was to look at our past. That's an important thing to do when you're making a transition. Of course you have to look to the future, but it has to be anchored in where you've been. So that's what we did. Now, Cairnport Community Church, despite only existing formally as a separate entity from Briarcrest College and Seminary, that's only been about 15 years. But the history and the roots go back much further than that. And we have people that have been here for many, many years, decades, whole lifetimes. One of the things Grace did as our new office assistant was just exploring the office, digging around in the files as you do, seeing what's there unearthed some, some pretty interesting things. Some of them dating back to the 1990s. Minutes, summaries. Some of these are not terribly relevant or some of them we just lack the context to really make a lot of sense of them. But some of them I'd say were startlingly profound and still applicable. So I'd like to take a few moments and discuss one of these documents about Cairnport Community Church's distinctives. And this was before we were even an independent church from Briarcrest College. These are from a document dated 1997. Just to jog your memory, that was over 20 years ago now. The world has changed an awful lot since 1997. In 1997, we barely had the internet. We certainly didn't have social media, streaming services, smartphones. If anybody had a cell phone back then, it was one of those big ones that was in the The pleather case that you had to plug into the cigarette lighter of your car and put an antenna on the roof, right? Totally different. 9-11 hadn't happened yet. Mass shootings were something that we thought was terrible and and extreme, and now they're sadly becoming commonplace. You could still smoke in most public places in 1997. Briarcrest more or less kind of still owned Caronport, although that was beginning to change by that point. So a few of these things that we'll talk about have changed significantly in the 20 years since, since they were written down. But the fact that so many of these things have stayed the same tells me something important. It tells me that despite some of the major changes that have happened in this community since 1997, some of these things are realities of our context and vital and important parts of our identity. So it tells me that we should pay attention to these as we seek to do ministry as, as the body, in our midst in this community. So here we go. Here are some of Cairnport Community Church's distinctives from 1997. A church away from home for many Christians, both single and student families, as well as a more long-term church home for Briarcrest staff, non-staff community residents and student families who plan to be here for several years. I'd say that is still just as true now as it was in 20 years ago. And it's not a typical church. It's not what a typical church looks like in a lot of other places. We have a really unusual blend of long-term members that have lived here for years and are going to likely live here the rest of their lives, on the one hand, and on the other, people that come here for a few years and then leave. And in particular, the people that come here for a few years and then move on, they know they're only here for a few years the moment they step on campus. This isn't really typical in a lot of other places. Maybe some other college and university towns, maybe military towns. But we have a pretty unique context here that we do ministry in. Second thing, it says church polity is different than what is the norm for many churches. Instead of a congregational or elder-led leadership, CCC is under the leadership of appointed pastoral staff, the president of Briarcrest Schools, and the Briarcrest Board of Directors. That has changed. That's been a significant change that our church leadership and school leadership has worked through over these last years, and especially in the last decade or so. Uh, and as well, we've moved forward, through a significant change in how our church board works. We've moved from a church board that is strictly made up of a board of elders to a more general church board uh, that has men and women serving on the board. The polity is still different than what many people are used to, especially those who come from a strong, say, Baptist or evangelical-free background where it's very congregational. There's there's annual general meetings and votes. It's going to be a little bit different. That's how things are. That's the reality that's here. Another thing in that document, it says, though there is no formal membership list, the church does function as a local church by following the New Testament example of worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, and service. 20 years later, Caronport Community Church still doesn't have a formal membership structure or process. That said, we do have a more formal status as a church body. We've registered with Canada Revenue Agency and our provincial government and all of those things for charitable donations. Uh, registered status so our pastors can perform weddings we have written down organizational constitution and so forth I think we may recognize better than we did back then that being a proper church requires more than just good intentions to follow the book of acts it also requires proper structures of leadership and accountability here's another one from that document that I just thought was this written last week or was this written 20 years ago CCC can easily become a church of convenience for campus residents. Some residents choose to attend other area churches but will attend here if there's a spe- sorry special feature or if the weather is severe. Others attend a different church but place their children in our children's ministries, including youth groups, clubs, children's choirs. Rather than exclude these children, we choose to welcome them so they will receive Christian education. This does have implications for the local church budget depending on where the parents choose to give their donations. This is 100% true now as it was back then, right? When we have a special event at our congregation, numbers grow. That's just how it is. When there's bad weather, numbers grow in the wintertime. And we can be cynical about that. We can say, what are they doing? Or these people aren't committed. Or we can embrace them and we can love them with the love of Christ and bless them with the ministries that we offer as we're able in particular our children's ministry. Some of them now, we have developed an official partnership with our sister church, The Gathering. Other people send their kids to our Awana program and our Vacation Bible School, and that's something we we rejoice in because it's an opportunity to bless our wider community here in Karenport. CCC seeks to be a truly community church in a unique context. A large percentage of the members for eight months of the year are Single college students in their late teens and early 20s, a significant number of baby boomers, as well as a group of seniors, also make it their church home. Church ministries are designed to meet the varying needs and preferences of style in Christian education and worship services. I'd say perhaps that the single college students maybe don't make up as high a percentage of our congregation as at that time. A lot of our college students worship in many different contexts here on campus, in Moose Jaw, and in other areas. But the point that our church congregation looks very different for eight months of the year while college is in session, that is absolutely true. There is just no way around it. We are a church on a college campus. That's how we do ministry. We still have the baby boomers and seniors, although the former group is now edging their way up into the latter group. But we do seek to be an intergenerational church rather than just cater to one specific element of our population, right? We have moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, college students, teens, babies, and I see all of you here today, and that is a wonderful thing, and that's intentional. We don't want to become just a church for one age demographic, Sunday worship services are planned to be distinct from college chapels. Chapels are designed by and for students using the contemporary arts they appreciate and relate to. Sunday services must allow the diversity of worshipers to feel they can truly express their praise to God. I would say that may not have been as true at that time as as they wanted it to be, uh, but it certainly is what we want to do now. I suspect that having a staff who aren't Briarcrest faculty and meeting in a different space than college chapel happens in also helps with that. However, the point about being different in worship style is true. I think actually today's college students are often more okay with that than uh, people in the past were. There seems to be maybe a move of accepting a more diverse or even traditional form of worship, loving hymns. I love it when I look out into the worshiping congregation and I see People 19, 20 years old, singing hymns heartily with with some of our seniors right beside them. Knowing the words is wonderful. There seems to be, and I am so pleased by this, less and less of a desire to be entertained on a Sunday morning. At any rate, attractional models of church are, I think, becoming perhaps less attractional than they were 20 years ago. Being on the campus of a Bible college and seminary brings the added opportunity to model to students and the constituency how a church should function. However, because of the uniqueness outlined above, it can't be a typical church. What can be modeled is the unity of believers who focus on the Lord Jesus and overcome their differences in the church. All churches have areas of potential disagreement and conflict that can turn the focus inward and not on reaching out to people in need. And I said, this struck me as 100% true, just as it was then. We're not a typical church. In some ways, Cairnport Community Church is a permanent church plant. We don't own any property other than we have a keyboard and um, some bookshelves and a few other things that our church owns. We don't own the sound equipment. We don't own this pulpit that I'm preaching from. We don't own any of the stuff. We are permanent tenants. And that's just our reality. So things like youth and children's ministry are going to look different in our situation than they look in a lot of other churches, right? We don't have space that we can just set up as a designated youth group room with cool decorations and all of those things like a lot of churches have. In some ways, we're always going to be playing second to the college and seminary and high school here because they are the primary channels through which a lot of spiritual formation is going to flow. Students are going to be living in those six days a week and coming to worship with us one time a week. But hopefully, we can model Christ-centered spiritual and relational formation. I think we can do that, whether we have a building that we own, whether we have space that's permanently ours, whether we have any of those things that a typical church has. With or without those, I hope that we can be a church that models Christ-like love and care and unity for one another and model what Christ-centered spiritual and relationship formation looks like. We can use the gifts the Lord has given us to build one another up, can we not? Whether we have a building or any other thing, we can equip and encourage for ministry. Whether that's college students, whether that's people in the middle of their life or maybe discerning whether a a change in their direction or career is what God is calling them to do. We can always do better. And I, I hope that that is our goal and our desire to continue doing the best and to always be constantly learning and improving. When I hear what's going on at many churches in the world, I'm very thankful for what we have at Karenport Community Church. So what does this all mean? It means that while CCC has changed in significant ways over the last 20 years, certain aspects, conditions of our identity are tied in significant ways to this campus, and they are basically set for us. Now, we can huff and puff and chafe at the, what we think of as, as limitations, or we can accept it as our reality, and we can get to work loving the people, that God has placed in our midst, training, equipping, and discipling those people, those students, those community members, whoever, that God sends our way. I vote that we take option two. A mid-sized church like ours, we can either have the atmosphere that we are a small mega church, or we can have the atmosphere that we're kind of a big hometown church. I think we're definitely the latter, and I don't think that will change anytime soon. But hopefully, being aware of that, we can kind of avoid some of the typical pitfalls of hometown churches, right? Uh, Getting stuck in ruts, not holding people accountable, good enough syndrome, clicks, inward focus, and hopefully we can maximize some of the strong points that small town, hometown kind of churches have, right? Right? Less desire to be entertained in worship. True connections inside and outside the church, right? Worshiping together with the same people that you see on a regular daily basis throughout the week. That is powerful. That is profound. That's something you don't get in a lot of churches in our nation. Meals together. Knowing your neighbors. All of those things are strengths that our church can really work on. As I said before, one of the biggest challenges that faces us is that unlike many churches, we're not going to be the primary channel for spiritual formation and Christian education for people. A lot of people live in a situation where they work at a non-Christian workplace. They might be the only Christian on their workforce. They're in that secular environment day after day all week and their church is their lifeline the only source of, of Christian fellowship training that they're going to get? Well, that's not the case here. And I, that is a good thing, but that is also a reality that we have to be aware of. At least in terms of time spent, our students are going to spend a lot more time with uh, people on their, on their halls, with their RDs and RAs, with what goes on at College Chapel day-to-day, then they are going to be spending gathered for worship in the church context. But The thing is, especially for college students, that's a temporary situation. In a few years, they won't be going to College Chapel four days a week. In a few years, they won't be playing on their tight-knit varsity sports team or, or music team or any other of the extracurriculars that are such a powerful force on this campus. So what then? If students in our midst get out of the habit of going to church regularly for gathered worship on a Sunday, that can be a scary thing. There are lots of studies that show that local church attendance and involvement are one of the most crucial things as to whether young people continue in their Christian faith. So we have a role to play in that, even on this campus where we can seem so saturated with spiritual things. Students coming here need a church family to be a part of so that they continue faithfully in that practice and will continue it when they leave this place. As we talk a bit more about how we fulfill the ministries of Cairnport Community Church, I'd like us to do this with this in mind. Not just how we keep all the plates spinning, how we do this and this and this. But how do we conduct the ministries of our church and our congregation as a church family? So as we close, I'd like to keep this statement in the forefront of our mind. the Congregation is a family, not customers. The Church leadership is family, not a service provider. In... in, in a business setting, right, there's this slogan, whether it's true or not, I don't think it is, but the customer is always right. You've heard that, right? Let's say you're a car salesman, right? Somebody, middle-aged man, balding, kind of geeky looking, walks onto your car lot and wants to buy a red convertible. You sell him the red convertible. You don't ask him about new girlfriends and midlife crises or any of those things. But if that man's your brother, maybe you do ask him some questions about what's going on in your life that you want a Harley or, or a red convertible. Right? Or, or, or your grandmother is, is becoming a danger to herself because she's not well. And she wants to stay in her own home, but you don't let her stay in her own home because that's not good for her. Right? There, there's accountability, there's truth-telling that happens in a family. We can't just give people what they want. A service provider is there to fulfill our preferences, but families aren't about what's in it for just me, right? There's not just take. There's give and take. There's back and forth. There's truth-telling, sacrifices. So let me draw this together. Most of you who are here today, a lot of you anyhow, are regulars. Permanent residents. Now, I, I see a few more new faces maybe than I was expecting to see today, and that, that's terrific. You're kind of maybe just listening in on, on our kind of family business as Karenport Community Church. But that's great. In just a few days, two days to be exact, this campus is going to get a whole lot fuller. We've seen, you know, kind of a little trickle starting in over this last week or so. Student leaders, athletes, a few other keeners that are here early. But on Tuesday, everything is going to change. The reason that we're not in our usual space is because it's all set up for registration. And that place is going to be buzzing on Tuesday with moms and dads dropping off sons and daughters to come to this campus for spiritual Christian discipleship, training, all the things that we offer here. Our church life is so closely tied to the academic year we've been through the the four month, and especially the last two months big lull but all that is going to change in 48 hours today as it were the train is sitting alongside the platform it's idling its it's puff puffing a little bit but it hasn't started going anywhere but by next Sunday the train will have left the station and will be driving down the tracks at full speed so we have a choice to make I have a choice You have a choice. We all have a choice to make. It's absolutely true that schools on this campus provide incredible opportunities for spiritual formation and discipleship that happens in the court, the classroom, the stage, the chapel, all these places. And I'm so thankful that so many of you use your gifts and your talents in these areas as you work and as you minister at Briarcrest. However, I say this with as much humility as I can. These areas provide excellent opportunities, but they are not a replacement for the local church. Time spent on this campus can be a wonderful season of growth. but as I said before, the highly structured rhythms of involvement in all of these things aren't going to be permanent realities for a lot of these students. And so they need a church family that they can plug into while they are here. Right? They need the grandmas and grandpas in the faith. They need the moms and dads who can be there for them or, or weird uncles or baby brothers and sisters. They need all of us who can be there to be their family of faith for the year or the two years or the four or five, however, they're long, however long they are here. They need us. We have a part to play. They need to experience all that a church family can be while they are here so that remaining part of a church family once they leave will just be a no-brainer, will be something they don't even think about whether they join a church or not. Of course they'd participate in a church because they did so while they were here. We can be that church family for the students. Now I realize many of you are highly, highly involved in the life that goes on on this campus. And maybe some of you are thinking, "Ah, one more thing, like I'm already super busy. A lot of you are very involved. I've been there. I've been the very involved running around, doing all the things that need to be done for the things we do on this campus. But we must resist the temptation to withdraw from local church fellowship because we're busy. We must resist the temptation that church fellowship and involvement is the first thing that we say no to when we have to say no to something because we're busy or because Sunday morning is going to be me time. I'm not calling anyone to burn themselves out or to live in unhealthy ways, but I am calling us to consider how we can be more engaged in our life of faith together. Here are some thoughts. Just show up. If students see that their professors and their coaches or administrators or whoever they see on a regular basis don't treat local church involvement with much seriousness, that it's optional, that's going to rub off on them. Just by being here regularly and attending and showing up, singing heartily, being enthusiastic, participating, you're sending a message. Students are watching. Don't kid yourselves, they are watching. And if they see you doing things, that sends a message that these things matter and that they are important. And if we believe that local church involvement is one of the biggest predictors of long-term faithfulness to Jesus and the gospel, then this matters. Do more than the bare minimum. Take it one step further. Instead of coming at 1035, Maybe say, you know what, I could be here at 1025 before service begins. Or earlier, meet some people that are coming in. Greet. Do those things. Stay around a bit longer after church is over. Stay for meals. None of these are big things. None of these require a huge time commitment from any of us. But they can pay remarkable dividends for the short time period that we would be investing. Even just 10 extra minutes a Sunday can make a huge difference. Serve. We often tell ourselves that serving, oh, it'll wear me out, I'm so tired, I'm so busy. You know, many things don't actually require that much extra effort though, right? Standing and greeting people at the door, serving a cup of coffee to someone, asking their name. You know, we can spend that extra 20 or 30 minutes on a Sunday morning at home, watching cat videos or whatever it is we see on our Instagram or Facebook, checking the sports scores sleeping, whatever it is we want to do. We can spend it doing that, or we can invest it in God's kingdom work that's happening here in our midst. I'm probably belaboring the point, but students, new people coming into our midst, they notice these things. They notice the kind of attitude that we take to gathering together and the enthusiasm or not that we bring for it, and it will rub off. So are we going to invest that time? In the passage that we looked at earlier, Joshua gave the Israelites three days' notice that it was go time. They were crossing the Jordan in three days. Get ready. Are you ready? Because we're going, whether you're ready or not, so you better get ready. And I'm doing a similar thing today, only it's two days. Registration is happening in two days. Are we ready? Are we going somewhere? We've all seen the the old movie trope of the goodbye at the train window, right? Old war movies, you got the soldiers uh, leaning out the train windows and their wives and girlfriends kissing them goodbye and the children waving at dad as he's going off to serve in the army and sometimes, you know, even the train is beginning to pull away from the station and they're reluctant to let go of their embrace and then it pans to the soldier waving and then it pans back to the girlfriend left on the platform and She's sad, and the train's pulling away. But I hope that that's not what we're going to do today, to just kind of stand on the platform and wave as the train goes away and think, well, there'll probably be another one along shortly. So why the image of the train? Punch your ticket Sunday. Is it starting to make sense what this is all about? I hope so. Why the image of the train? Well, you see, a train train goes in one specific direction, right? It is limited to going on the train tracks. That's the direction it goes. And when you travel by train, you all get in the same thing and you all go there together at the same pace. The destination is set for you. You get on and you go there and you go there together. That's what I'm hoping we're doing today. The train journey represents a journey undertaken in unity, right? We're not all carpooling there. To our, to our destination of being a church family of faith, you know, in separate vehicles where, uh, well, maybe this vehicle, we'll take a little side tour over here and maybe we'll be really slow in getting there because we went off on this side tour and maybe these people over here have lead feet and so they're going to rush on and get there way faster than everybody else and no one else can keep up. That's not how we want to go anywhere together as a church family. We want to get on the train and we're all going to go there together. So the train is about to leave the train station. So the question today is, are you going to get on board the train as a church family and undertake this journey of this next eight months together? Are we going to support one another as a congregation and support our church in the season of transition? I think our our church staff has put together... A solid team. We have a great church board that is offering leadership. But a few dedicated people as church leaders, staff, board, key volunteers, we can't do this alone. We can't be Karenport Community Church as just a few staff members and board members and two or three really eager volunteers. It's going to take all of us. We need you and you and you And all of you, and yes, you too. We need all of us to make this happen. Be the church family for this school year ahead. And so, I'm calling all of us to get on the train, punch our tickets, find a seat. And that's what we'll be doing after this. Let's pray first, and we'll sing a little bit more. And then I will, uh, we have a little surprise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day the good weather that we had to meet outside. Thank you for your word that encourages us to be strong and be courageous, even in times of significant transition. May we remember that if we have anxiety about what's going on on our campus, in our church, if we face uncertainty, um, when there are things that are different, that are newer, that are ways we've not done it before, or or, uh, for others, maybe the pace of change isn't fast enough. Uh, Will you give us patience? Will you give us unity? Will you give us, more than any of it, eagerness for the mission that you've given us? Pray for all of us who are long-term or permanent residents on this campus that we would have enthusiasm, excitement, and eagerness for what's going on as we gather Sunday by Sunday for worship together. This may become just a matter of routine for us, uh, but we want to show students who are arriving here what it can mean to be a church family, to be a family of faith, so that what they see here makes it completely natural and a no-brainer that they would continue being part of a church once they leave this place, whether they've been here for one year or two, four, five, whatever the case may be. We pray that as we launch into the new school year in this, in this next two days or so as it really ramps up that we would catch we'd catch a real vision and eagerness and excitement for what you're going to do on this campus and how we can be a part of that. Will you stir up in our hearts as a congregation and as individuals how we can participate to just take it even one or two steps further um, how we can serve in ways that will will bless others that will build up the body. We ask this all in Jesus' name and we look to him as the one who is building his kingdom here in our midst, in his name. Amen.